are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that cannot save, neither is ear heavy that cannot hear, but your iniquities are the other way around it. The Lord's ear is not heavy that cannot hear, neither is the arm shortened that cannot save, but your iniquities are separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his faith from you that he will not hear. Now here's a wonderful thing and a sad thing. First of all, God's willing and God's able to answer prayer. God has as much power as he ever did. And now God just as willing as he ever was. You mean willing to work miracles? Yes. You mean willing to answer marvelous prayers? Yes, sir. I like that. Amazing, wonderful answers to prayer. God is willing and God's able. But your sins, oh, your sins. How often the Bible tells us, uh, the Lord says, Call them in, I'll answer thee, and show thee great mighty things thou knowest not. Why, it said, uh, All things whatsoever you ask and believing ye shall receive. He said, Wherefore I say unto what things soever you desire when you pray, believe, and you receive them, and you shall have them. Matthew 7, 7, 8, Ask and shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, them that knocketh it shall be opened. He says in John 14, 13 and 14, um, Whatsoever shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. In James uh, 4 and verse 2, he said, You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Oh, how many times God tells us, I'm willing to answer prayer, I'm able to, I want to, but your sins are in the way. Sin. What is it hinders a life daily answer prayer? Sins in the way. That's right. Behold, he said, not that I can't do it, but your sins are separated between you and God until he will not hear. Ah, then wouldn't it be good if we could talk this morning on hindrances prayer and go through the Bible and find what the name, things are named particularly that hinder prayer, make it so we do not get our prayers answered. I'd like to help you this morning. Well, first of all, let's turn to First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. And uh, uh, verse 2 verses we'll read to start with. Likewise, your wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any may not the word, they may without the word be one with the conversation or the godly life of the wife, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Here the scripture is saying, uh, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Uh, he said, uh, so that if you've got a husband who's unsaved, he may, this, uh, he may, without the word, be won by the godly life and conversation of this godly wife who obeys her husband, even though he's unsaved. Now, down verse, he goes on to say, but rather, that Meekin's quiet spirit that's in sight of God of great price, and Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you're to be like that. And then he said in verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and is being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, obviously, he's talking about certain things that hinder prayer in the home. In the preceding chapter, he said, the Christians, uh, citizens, obey the government. He said, servants, obey your masters. Now, likewise, you wives, he said, be in subjection to your own husbands. 
And there he said, now husband, he said likewise about husband, not likewise in the sense of, of um, obedience, but he said uh, the same kind of a plan I've got for you, that if a one husband doesn't take his responsibility according to knowledge of the scripture of a man's place in the home, why then your prayer tender. Evidently, this is summing up a series of propositions. You don't obey the government, your prayer is hindered. If a servant doesn't obey his boss, prayer is hindered. Wife doesn't be subject to her husband, her prayer is hindered. And a husband who doesn't dwell with the wife according to knowledge of God's plan for the home, well, then he's a slacker and his prayer is hindered. So we're talking about hindered prayer, and here in the home life, then prayer is often hindered. Uh, <coughs> I read down in verse 12 the same chapter, he quotes from Psalm 34, and he says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, uh, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God's open to prayer. God wants us to pray. How he delights to have our prayers answered, but your sin comes in the way. Uh, where is sin? Most likely being home. You know, uh, homes where, this is a strange thing, isn't it? The meanest things you ever say to anybody, you say to the people you love the most. That's a strange thing, isn't it? Isn't that strange? Oh, you're polite to the outsiders and mean to the folks at home sometimes. Isn't that strange? You know, now some of the church, it's pretty easy to be nice at church, to dress up nice, you know. Uh, some of you people are not dressed up nice enough. I saw two teenage girls this morning. You ought to be ashamed. You look like a Hollywood whore with your legs showing. Uh, why would you want to go around and, and look like a harlot? Why would you want to show your legs or your breasts and try to make out that if you could attract some man's lust? Wouldn't that be a silly thing? Now, you dress different when you come back here tonight, yeah, you women. But uh, I'm just saying the scripture. Now, don't laugh about it. I'm not talking fun. I'm talking about a good sense. Christians ought to dress like Christians and act like Christians. Yes. And you men better see to it. God intends you to look after your families on this matter, too. So I'll go a little further here. Now it says um, on this matter, you know what? You can be public very nice. Oh, you look nice and public and so on. You wouldn't end up exposing any woman here screams at her children. Nor any man that's an old rough there at home with you. Ah, very nice. It's easy to be nice in public, but back at home. If you haven't got it at home, you haven't got it, bud. If you're not a good Christian at home, you're not a good Christian, period. You know, so we better go back and get that settled. Wouldn't it be a good thing if we had the kind of a conference here that, oh, these homes, you know, where one marriage and every three goes on the rocks of divorce. That isn't all the story. At least two-thirds of the other marriages that don't get a divorce are not very happy. Raise children and your girls turn out to be uh, harlots and your boys turn out to be... Uh, dropouts of schools and long-haired hippies and draft card burners and smart pot smokers and so on out of Christian, so-called Christian homes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we're out of this meeting here, if people go back to have a really Christian home and the power of God and the love of God and the peace of God and turn out godly children? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be good? All right, so you better start to get things settled at home. That's where more prayers are hindered back at home. So he said, you wives, you want your prayers answered, then you'll be subject to your husband. That's right. Well, he said, if he'd do what yes, you'd like, but if he lets you be the boss, then you'd obey him, wouldn't you? No, you know, that's the Lord's plan. And here he said, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That, if any be not the word, they may without the word be one with the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, you can win your husband. He said, well, that's a hard business. 
No, it's not hard. You think it's hard on students to have a teacher in school? Huh? You think that? You think it's hard on a citizen to have a, a mayor in a town? No, it's not. No, it's not. No, that's silly. They are hard on children to have parents. No, it's not. It's not hard on a wife to have a husband. And some of you, it's hard. Some of you work to get one. You better be mighty glad you got one. And you better set out to be a good Christian at home, too, and obey your husband. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. So it says, yeah, well, the husband's the, well, the husband's ahead of the wife, and the wife, but the wife's the next, and she turns. You talk like a dirty fool. You talk like an infidel. Christians ought not to use that kind of language. If you think it's a joke to joke about what God commanded and make a light of what God commanded, you're not a good Christian. You're a nut. And you better take it to heart. Christians ought to set out to have a Bible kind of home. You know that? That's right. Yeah, a Bible kind of home. That means a wife subject to her husband. And you say, well, Brother Rice, isn't that hurt? No. No, that turns out happier. I had a letter from a woman in Kansas City years ago, and she said, Brother Rice, I read your sermon. She said, I've been married for eight years, and I've been trying to be a good Christian. My husband's not a Christian. So he said, but I go on to church, whatever, what, now, whatever the preacher said, I do that, and I'm not, I'm going to be a good Christian no matter what my husband says. So I lived that way eight years, and my husband got further and further away from me. He said, now he's talking about divorce. And she said, I didn't leave it. I said, now I'm going to have to try what you say. I got another letter later. And she said, this strange, this thing's happened. Said my husband, he's got where he says now. He said, if you want to go to church, you go. And he's got where he go with it sometime. And said, he quit talking about divorce. And said, now we have a happy love life. And he, he's kind loving I set out to make him happy and to please him like I promised God to do when I was married. And now then he's listening to me about church. Now you put it down. God's way is better than your smart aleck way. And you better listen to it. You know that? And God's way is for a wife to be subject to her husband. Even an unsaved You say, but I'm smarter than he is. Well, if you're that smart, you ought to be able to take what the Bible says and follow that, don't you think? And then he said, and likewise, you husbands, well, in them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weak. As according to knowledge, yes, God made man and made woman to be a uh, hate for, um, mate for Adam. That's God's plan. That's what I said uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, according to knowledge. Uh, he said um, to the wife, thy desire is to be to thy husband. He'll rule over thee. Um, according to knowledge, yes. Knowledge of Ephesians 5. Wives being subjection to your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. So everybody ought to know uh, God has a plan. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he goes on to say, A woman ought to be different from a man. A woman ought to have long hair. It's a glory to her, he said. And it said in verse 14, If a man have long hair, doesn't even nature self teach us. a shame to him. Any boy or man here got long hair, I'd have it cut off and get to look like a man, like a Christian man, instead of a heathen, a Jerry Rubin, and a rebel, and a draft card burner, and a refugee from the draft. I'd set out to be like a Christian. Uh, but then he says, uh, Paul said, now he said, here's divine order. He said, the head of Christ is God, head of the man is Christ, head of the woman is the man. Is a divine order. Is that bad? It ought not to be bad to Christians. That's right. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. All right. So husband ought to say, God put me as high priest in the home. That's mighty serious, isn't it? That's right. And that's mighty serious. You walk down that uh, marriage altar and then you make a holy pledge to love and cherish until death do you part. 
and you are supposed to represent Jesus Christ and to love that woman as Christ loved the church. And that means love her when um, love her when she's young, love her when she's old. That means love her when she's pretty, love her when she gets ugly. And that means love her when she's nice to you and love her when she talks you to death, too. Uh, but uh, love is based on your character and your plain vow to God, not based on how pretty she stays and how she woos you with her wiles of, of a woman. No, um, a husband to love his wife is Christ, love the church, and that's a mighty serious thing. And oh, let's set out to have a home settled on a Bible basis. Otherwise, your prayers be hindered, he said. And the scripture says here a very precious thing. Um, husband, love your wives. This Christ, uh, he says, uh, you, husband, likewise, husband, dwell with them according to knowledge uh, as being heirs together of the grace of life. What is that? As the Lord says, here's a man and a woman, and they marry, and they love each other. And that's not bad. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled, the Bible says. And he goes on to say there then, here's them. As the grace of life, God said, I'm going to bring into being an immortal soul that will live for eternity somewhere in heaven or hell, and I'll put that in a little body created by the union of this man and woman. And so they have this marvelous grace of bringing eternal life into this world. That's a miracle, isn't it? And what a privilege. And so a man must go to marriage reverently, and a woman reverently. And a man feel, I represent Christ. And so he says, otherwise your prayers will be hindered. All right. So you better get things down. I'd ask God to cut off the tip of bitter tip of my tongue, and I'd ask God to help me to be a good Christian back at home, and I'd let learn to have peace and joy back at home. And then you raise God that children have a happy home and the blessing of God. That's right. All right. So then that your prayers be not hindered. Uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea if a lot of people go back to your cabins or back to your home and wherever you go. And uh, some of you men uh, pull that lady down your lap. She hasn't sat there a long time. I know she weighs 80 pounds more than she did when you got her. Uh, but um, you better let her sit on your lap a little and say, I declare you make the best biscuits. And I'm so glad I got you. And if I had to do over again, I'd marry you instead of some of these little pretty little whippersnappers. And you say to him, well, I sure like you. I know you got a paunch now and you're getting bald-headed, but I bear you're the best man I've ever seen, and I'm so glad to have you. You better sit out to be good Christians at home in the marriage relationship and contact and kind of speech and, and kind of caresses that good Christians ought to have at home. That's right. All right, you want your prayers answered? Go back home be good Christians at home. And what else? Uh, what hinders prayer? Wrong with other people besides the home, too. I turn to Matthew chapter 5. He just said there that uh, whosoever say to his brother, Thou fool should be in danger of hellfire. Watch your tongue now if you want to get along with God. Watch how you feel toward people if you want to get your prayers answered. And then he said, now verse 23, 24, Matthew 5, 23. Uh, so he said, When thou bringest, therefore, when thou bringest thy gift to the altar, and there remember thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift for the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. You want God to hear your prayer? Now here's an Old Testament picture. Here's a man coming up to Jerusalem to sacrifice. He brings a lamb. He brings his front feet together back. He's got it on his shoulder, and he carries it down to him. He lays it down to the, to the priest. Isn't that a pretty lamb? Male lamb, first year. Best that I got in the flock. Yes, sir, I just watched him. He's the first one born, and I saw he's fat and pretty, and I said, I'm going to give that to God. Now, once you put this lamb on the altar and uh, cut his throat and catch the blood and, and dress it and so on, this my sacrifice. 
Then the Lord said, wait a minute, don't put that trash on my altar. Well, Lord, but listen, I'm trying to obey the law, I'll give him a sacrifice. And the Lord said, any kind of outward obedience that when you're wrong with other people and you're crooked in other people, then you can't honor me here with a gift. No. He said, uh, you say, but brother, but Lord, he said, this picture of my faith in the coming Messiah. I'm a fundamentalist. I'm premillennial fundamentalist. I'm a pre-tribulation rapture premillennial fundamentalist. I'm a pre-tribulation rapture premillennial fundamental uh, Baptist. And I know the Lord said, but as long as you're wrong with others, debt's unpaid or apologies not made and, and friendship's not restored, then you can't give anything I want, God says. You mean, you mean that the Lord don't care about all the nice pies singing and going to church and giving off? Not, you're not going to pay up honest debts and be right with other people. No, no. So go be reconciled. But the first thing takes to have revival. Somebody said pray. No, not praying. First thing is go pay up debts and go make apologies and go restore friendship so you can pray and so God will hear you. That's right. Wouldn't it be good if we had the kind of revival people got to doing right? They're paying debts and so on. Doing right. Oh, my. I think about debts unpaid. I preached on the radio in Dallas, Texas. I had a letter from Man Center, Texas. He was a merchant in a general store. He said, Brother Ice, he said, I'm closing. I'm in closing. He said, uh, $10. He said, some time ago, a man walked in here and paid down $25. You know, he moved out of the community. He owed this 10 years and didn't pay it. He walked in the other day and paid it. And they said, I said to him, I never expect to get that. He said, no, and I didn't expect to pay it either. But it's, I've been hearing Brother John Rice on the radio. I've got a lost boy. He's going to the devil. And John Rice said, if I'm going to go to hear my prayers, I'm going to have to pay up on his debts and so on. So here's that $25. And the merchant said, well, I heard a Methodist preacher one time say Christians ought to pay the debts. I gave him $10. I'm going to send $10 to you. If I ever hear anybody else preach on this, I'm going to give him the other $5. Well, I preached on it again right away, but he didn't hear me. Uh, but, uh, but I'm just saying, oh, my, my, um, isn't it a strange thing? You want to be a good Christian and be a dirty cheat and liar and a thief. Huh. Yeah. Uh, you want to be a good Christian, but don't want to be honest. And no, no. Ought to be sure something about it that makes a fella. I'll go clean up if you want your prayers answered and to honest debt. Oh, yeah. Um, I used to have a sword book club. I keep feeling I ought to start a book club again. I'd have to have good help to do it, and I'd have to be very careful about it. You know why I let it go? But at a book club, I had 6,000 people, and all over America, I go and I find some in the pastor, a little bookshelf, and the only really good books he got, we helped him get back on it. Because you go down to a bookstore in town, they'll sell you Fosdick, or they'll sell you uh, any kind of tomfoolery and modernist, and you don't know the difference, and they don't care the difference, and so on. And I thought, oh, I must help preachers, and I did. But I'd let stuff. You know why? We had a regular, a clear-cut, signed agreement. Everybody joined the book club of this agreement. Listen, I'm going to give you a certain book for joining. And then every month we'll send you a little brochure and it'll say, number one choice this month is so-and-so. It's so many pages. And I had, uh, oh, I had Dr. Edmund, Dr. Bob Jones, Dr. John L. Hill, son of school, a board man, and uh, my brother, Dr. Bill Rice, and Dr. Robert D. Lee, and other men, the best men in America. And I'd had, here's what Dr. Lee says, here's what Dr. Bill says, and so on. And I said, if you want that, let it come. But if you write nothing, and then here's the number two, if you'd prefer that. And every time I enclose a card. Now, if you don't want any book, send back to no book this time. 
Or say, I want number two instead of number one, or number three. Or so, with the understanding that if you want number one, you just let it come, and you pay for it within seven days. Well, of those 6,000, about half of them were preachers, and I had to drop the book club. You know why? I lost as much as $5,000 a year, and I had to make it up in my love offerings from revivals. Back then, time when my kids had to work hard to um, earn a part of the way in college, Ms. Rice went 17 years without the kitchen cabinet everybody here has because I pay in other people's dishonest debts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty bad, isn't it? I was in Durham, North Carolina, but back there for a conference one time, the pastor, um, I was in there with a radio broadcast, and Bud Lyles was with us, and after the broadcast, he said, Bud, go ahead, will you want to talk to Brother Rice? And he handed me five dollars and said, I uh, owed that for a book three or four years ago, and I never did pay it, and I can't have any peace about it. And a lot of them never did have that much conscience and so on. I mean, I lost as much as $5,000 a year I paid up on bad debts, mainly from preachers. Yeah. Now, I don't wonder this country doesn't have much revival. I don't wonder that kind of preacher don't have much revival in their churches. I don't wonder they don't have big crowds and so on. God doesn't bless that kind of crookedness. You know that? All right. Oh, yes, I feel so pious. The Lord said, I'm not impressed. Oh, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I know it. You don't read it much. You'd start out to live more by it, wouldn't you? Yeah. And so, know what God wants is somebody's got something deep down inside that makes him want to do right. You know that? We sure ought to cultivate that, oughtn't we? All right. I'm just saying then, wrong with others. Maybe it's an apology unmade. Oh, somebody had talked about in the strange thing, how, how careless we are of the tongue. I don't wonder that God said, if a man uh, doesn't sin with his tongue, the same is a perfect man. Anybody here perfect? Huh? Oh, he said with the same, out of the, from the same bush, you know, you can the bitter water and sweet out of the same fountain. Oh, you talk fast and love the Lord, and then you talk about your neighbor and run him down, or criticize the preacher or somebody else and so on. Strange, 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 you know. Um, you know how we are about that. If I do something wrong, well, I was, um, I meant to do right, but I was very greatly tempted, not some Irish blood and so on. But the other fellow did, he did it because he's so mean low down, you know. Um, my doctor, my opinion is orthodoxy, and the other fellow's doctor is heterodoxy. I'm just saying, everybody except for his own word. Uh, wouldn't you learn to have compassion and belief and confidence and love for other people? Wouldn't you? I ought to have. Dr. Jack Howe told how one time he went to service, he and his wife, and he sat there in his mind thinking about, I didn't like this preacher, and look what he said about that, and so on, so on, both of them. And he got home, and he said to his wife, I feel as mean as the devil. And she said, I do too. He said, let's get down here and tell God we'll never again. If a man believes the Bible, trying to preach it, we'll never criticize him. He was trying to do wrong, or trying to do right about it, and they prayed. Well, there are times when a man ought to be helped by kindly brothers, but um, you better learn to love God's people, and, and you better learn to talk nice about God's people, haven't you? You think so? Oh, my. And so on. Well, if you want God's blessing, you're going to have to learn to make things right. There's some here, somebody here now, let's see, <coughs> has an old dad or mother back in home somewhere. And they say, and dad says, I don't wonder why Tom doesn't write to me. And the mother says, well, you know, daddy, he's so busy. Yeah, I know mother takes up for it, but her heart's hungry at night. They go to bed and wonder why the children don't write. And the mother said, well, I bet it's, uh, I bet it's the daughter-in-law. She's the one who holds them off and so and so. 
and then all right. If there's anybody here and you've got a godly old dad or mother and uh, you don't pay them much mind and you don't write to them and you don't make them happy and you don't remember Mother's Day and Father's Day and Easter and Christmas and birthdays and so and so, then you're going to have a hard time. You're going to pray with some hungry heart over there to whom you owe more than you can ever pay. And if they're hungry hearted and they're mistreated and left alone, you're going to ask God for that. Oh, yes. If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there, at the altar, remember, thy brother hath all against thee. I then leave your gift there and be reconciled. That's right. You better make it right. Hindered prayer. What hinders prayer? I rush on. Another hindrance prayer is a grudge in the heart. You know, in Mark chapter 11, the scripture says, verse 24, Wherefore I say unto you, what things wherever you desire when you pray, believe you receive, and you shall have it. But next verse says, But when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, for if you forgive not everyone his brother, his trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Oh, you mean I've got to forgive others to get forgiveness? Yes. Well, you say, Brother Ross, but when I say it, I thought all my sins forgiven. Yes, as far as putting you in the family, as far as paying the debt for uh, hell, uh, that's settled. But as far as your fellowship data with God, that's another matter. There are two senses of forgiveness in the Bible. In a sense, and when one's born again, all his sins laid on Jesus, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. There's a sense in Jesus out on the cross, he said, it's finished, it's finished, it's finished. Thank God for that. If sin be remembered and cometh to judgment, oh, sad the day, God's judgment day. But Christ bore that judgment for penitent sinners. Their sins are all taken away. No more, no more, remembered no more. My sins are all paid for in Christ's body born. Jesus has died for them. God has forgotten them. Who shall condemn when the slate is all clean then? No more, no more, remembered no more. My sins are remembered no more. As far as salvation is concerned, thank God, settle forever. Jesus doesn't have to come back and die again. He's done died for all of them. But wait a minute. But as far as daily fellowship is concerned, we're taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses. As, or in James, I mean in um, Luke 11 and verse 4, forgive us our sins. What do you mean? I mean I ought to get cleaned up every day, things out of the way between me and God. I don't care if I'm already in the family and if I'm a beloved son, I still ought to be good to Jesus, my older brother, my Savior, and I ought to be clean, clean with God the Father. Ought to. So if you're going to have your prayers answered, then forgive. When you stand, pray and forgive if you have aught against any. Oh, it said, treat me so mean. Yeah, not near as mean as you treated God. No. So you're supposed to forgive if you want God to forgive you. You know that? Oh, uh, yeah. You notice how God hates this grudge business. In Matthew 18, he said, there was a king, and he called his creditors and said, now pay me what you owe me. And one lord owed him uh, 10,000 talents. You know how much that is? About two million dollars. Oh, my goodness. He said, pay up here. And he'd um, been a little loose in his giving, I had some loaning, I guess. And the man said, I can't do it now, but you give me time. He said, tell him as a slave and his wife and children and so on. 
Uh, but the fellow said, I can't. Give me time, King. I'll pay you. Lord said, the, poor, the man said, he can't do it. All right, bought it out, mark it out. He can't pay it. And that fellow went home, and he had a, a one of his servants and said, Now, you owe me 300 pence. Pay every dime of this. Well, some of the other servants heard it. They went and told the king. <coughs> they said, You know what that fellow did? You are willing to forgive you $2 million. And the fellow owed him $5 or so. And look what it did to him. And the king called him in. He was angry. And he said, All right, you pay me what you owe me then. And they said, Turn him over to the tormentor till he pays it all. Now, here's a strange thing. And the Lord Jesus said, So shall your heavenly Father do to everyone that forgiveth not his brother his trespasses. Turns the tormentors? Does that mean God will let you go to hell? No, no. It means the brothers hate brothers. It means church split wide open. It means an unhappy marriage and baby divorce. It means uh, all the bitterness and ruin because grudges. I've seen it how many split churches. I've seen it home, split homes wide open. I've seen it break up marriages. I grudge in the heart how wicked, how wicked. So, no wonder the Bible says, Let not the sun go down your ass. Watch every day about sundown. Be sure. Don't go to sleep until you've gotten everybody forgiven. Make sure about that. And the Lord said, You forgive and I'll forgive you. I come from a horse trading family. <laughs> and I know a bargain and I see one. The Lord said, John, I'll forgive you everything in the world if you just forgive others. I said, I sure take you up on that. A Christian ought to forgive. You, you a grudge, a hateful, burning thing. Miss you unhappy. You're not happy about it. It can't do you any good. But you forgive it then and have peace. Christians ought to. If you're going to get your prayers answered, you must. I was in Woodbine, Texas. A revival. <clears throat> a church had a big split and fired the pastor. They had a fist fight in the church house. Some of the deacons and some of the other folks, I mean a fist fight in the church house. And uh, a lot of people swore, never go back again. Kind of missionary said, Let's get Brother John Rice here. I was a student pastor in this seminary. Let's get Brother Rice for revival. So I went up there, revival. And it was mad to everybody else, but when I began to preach very plain about it, they got madder at me than they were at other folks and so on. And the kind of missionary said to me, Well, Brother John, he said, I preach plain too sometimes, but then uh, next day, then I put a little salve on it and so on. And I said, I'll put salve on when to get this thing cured up. That's all. And so he said, Would you like me to preach? And they get mighty bad. I said, No, sir. Uh, you said you want me to preach, and they said God called me up here, and the people said God called me, and God told me that, so you just hold tight then until this thing busts open and we'll have a revival. And so, and so went to this little country town, didn't have any hotels, motels, didn't have any uh, bus routes even out there in the country town, so they had a full-time country church. And uh, well, so we had to go home with people for dinner, and go home with them for supper, and go home and spend the night, or, you, or sleep out in the car. And got to where there's only one family in the church. Everybody's so mad. Only one family in the church ever invited me and Miss Rice the last two days or so. And, uh, and the reason they did, they had a little girl. And this little girl says, Oh, Mama, invite the Rice. Please, Mama, son, pray at Gracie. Oh, Mama. So for two days we had dinner, supper, and uh, breakfast, and spent the night with the love family. One day a woman got some mad, so she went to a telephone on the wall, and all that, kind, and started to call. And so I said, what are you going to do? I'm going to call Brother John Rice. He's over to the Love family. I'm going to tell him what I think about him. He thinks he's so smart coming up here and bawling us out and so on. Her son, 19 years old, came in about that time. said, Mama, what's that you're about to do? I'm going to call Brother John Rice and tell him what I think about him. And he said, Mother, you take it easy. said, that the preacher's right, and you and I are wrong, and you know it. So I was in that fist fight down the church house. 
I'm so ashamed. I've been out to Pete Pat's having a prayer meeting. He said, you better do it too. He said, you call that preacher up, ball him out, and God may kill you, because that preacher's right, and you know it. Well, he out-talked her. I was awful glad he did. He came to a daytime service and said, the church, and is this about the kind of preaching, that kind of preaching, preach plain and sharp and hard? It may make a lot of people mad, but you can get a crowd to preach to, at least. And a weekday morning, here they were in country church and so on, and had two songs. I came to the pulpit, opened the Bible. A woman out here said, Brother I may I say a word? And I said, yes. She said, I want Mrs. Smith to forgive me. I've been so mean to her. I'm awful sorry, Mrs. Smith. And she was on this side, too. I don't On this side, Miss Smith over here said, me forgive her. Well, sure to forgive me. I was the one who started the whole business. I wouldn't talk, speak to her when I passed her on the street. And so on. And uh, they met. They got up. Never mind climbing over people, stepping on people's feet and crying. Don't care. Get out of me now. They hug each other. And somebody said, I won't say a word. And that went on for about an hour. Boy, that is better preaching than I could do. And uh, after a while, things got calmed down a little bit and had a little service and went home. And that night, boys out over all over the country, you never saw as many, ah, uh, the tractors and farm wagons and, and stories with fringes around them, you know, and people on horseback and, and everybody coming to church and early and filled a building and everybody in the window full of people and so on. I preached that night and heaven came down, our souls are blessed. And mercy crown and glory crown the mercy seat. And we had about 15 people saved, and the thing broke wide open. Oh, listen. Why don't you go make friends and get things out of your craw and act like a Christian? If you can't get some forgiveness, you're not going to have any peace. You're not going to have your prayers answered. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time praying. That's right. I hurry on. What are you going to do about the oh, hindered prayer? Another thing hinders prayer. Wrong attitude toward the Bible. In Proverbs 28 and verse 9, He that turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer should be abomination. The law is a term originally meant the, ten, uh, the, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But it came to mean the whole Old Testament, and for us it means all the Bible. And what is this word now? He said, He that turns away his ear from hearing the law, his prayer should be abomination. Oh, uh, that's right. Yes, um, you, you, what's the matter? Somebody said, well, it's so, I can't understand the King James Version. That's not your trouble. Your trouble's a cold heart with no concern about the Bible. That's the trouble. And somebody said, well, Brother Rice, archaic. Yeah, I know you've been brainwashed by the liberals, and you say, well, there's so many archaic expressions in the King James Version. Yes, some of the King James Version are very hard. There's like this, blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, Dr. Wallace, isn't that hard to understand? And another, in my father's house are many mansions, if we're not so, I would have told you. Boy, you can't understand that, can you? That's sure bad. And, uh, and like this, ask, and she'll be given you, seek, and you shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Isn't that hard to understand? And there's another, God so loved the world. Isn't that hard to understand? Huh? Yeah. A liar, a cheat. The trouble is you've got a dirty, cold heart. There are no uninteresting parts of the Bible. It's just some uninterested people. You know that? I remember I uh, uh, preached down close to Dallas not long ago, and, and uh, Tom Patton came over to see me, and uh, so on. And, um, and he, he said, Brother John, you taught me all the Bible I ever knew, and so on. He said, you taught me the tithe, and I've given away over a quarter, of a, over a half million dollars worth for the Lord's cause, and you taught me the tithe. And he also said this, that one thing you thought I wouldn't listen to, that's about cigarettes, and said, I wish to God I had. Now I have emphysema, and he can't get very far. I have to live next door to a doctor and get oxygen two or three times a week to keep him from dying. 
But I just thought, back to all the years ago when I was teaching the Bible in the new church in Dallas, and I said, read the Bible, read it every day. You're not a good Christian if you don't read the Bible through. And Tom, oh, Farm, uh, he, Tom Patton finally said, all right, all right, I'm a busy man. I've got that big machine of sales and supply company. But uh, I said, you're not a good Christian. Don't read the Bible. He came next Sunday. He said, brother Russ, listen he said, why did you tell me the Bible's like that? He said, I got to reading and got over there in the story of Jonah, uh, of Joseph, and I couldn't put it down. I read 20 chapters. He said, that's an amazing thing. That's the most fascinating thing. I was, why did you tell me? I told him, but he wouldn't listen. Plenty of interest in the Bible. You better ask God to give you a heart for it. The man who turns his heart away from the Bible, his prayer stinks. Yeah. You whether it's preaching the Bible and you don't like the preaching, or whether it's reading the Bible and you're not interested, you're fixing so that your baby is going to die and you pray and pray and God won't listen. You're praying so that girl play the harlot and you don't have any recourse. You're praying so that uh, uh, your boy is going to run wild to the crowd and what in the world are you going to do praying? God says, shut up, never mind, turn off that radio, Gabriel. I don't want that listen stuff. And so, no, if you're going to, if you're going to get things don't love the Bible, God says, I don't want you praying. It stinks to me. I heard about an Italian came to America. And in Italy, there's so many statues. Down one park in, in Rome, you go for a mile, but every 20 feet is a character of a famous statue only, and so on. And this Italian came to America and said, what can I do to make a living? Be surprised didn't have any statues down around like they do in the old cultured countries. So he found that you could buy some metal forms and flow with past repairs and come out, you know. You see them by the roadside sometimes where they have a steer and so on. Well, it could find a, and he could blow a bust of, of Napoleon and one of George Washington and one of Garibaldi, the father of Italy, and uh, of other musician, famous musicians. And so he said, all right, he made these, had a basket full of these little uh, plaster of Paris casts and statues, you know. And then New York City, the man coming down, had a basket for, how to buy the gold, how to Garibaldi, only 50 a cent, buy the Garibaldi. And the man uh, rushed him by and he hit his hand and that Garibaldi statue fell to the concrete, broke to pieces. Garibaldi, in the 1870, he united Italy under King Victor Emmanuel II, and they called him the father of Italy, like we call George Washington, the father of America, of and so on. And the man so disgusted, he looked at him, he says, how are you breaking my Garibaldi? He said, I'm breaking you, George Washington. He got his own statue of George Washington and threw it on the sidewalk and broke it. He didn't care about the 50 cents. He'd been insulted, but somebody broke Garibaldi. All right, so you don't care about the Bible. And God said, I don't care about your praying either. Well, I'm, brother, the Lord, I'm too busy. Yeah, I know, the Lord said, I got run. I don't, don't be hollering about me, I don't you. He said, well, the Bible is not very interesting. God said, your prayer stinks. I don't want it. Uh, you better learn to love the Bible. You better learn to read it every day and read it through. You're not going to get it wherever God. One more word I must say before I go. Any known sin, unconfessed and unlamented, any known sin, unconfessed and unlimited, unforgiven, will stand between you and God. And in Psalm 6:18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity, if I love iniquity, if I hold on, not if, I ever, if I've never done wrong. If you ever did wrong, that ruin everybody. That's not what it said. But if I still hold on to it and excuse it and take up for it and think it's not so bad and say, well, everybody's doing it and nothing. Uh, then, brother, you're sure in bad shape and you go to pray. 
And oh, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Oh, God, teach us. You know, the great thing God wants is not so much just to get you to do right, but he wants you to want to do right. And not just so much God wants you to quit your sins, but he wants you uh, to say, I am, I don't want them. God, forgive me. You're like, you ought to be like Paul. Maybe you say, when I want to do right, um, I do something wrong. But you ought to be able to say like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm not happy because I do wrong. I hate the thing. Uh, you better get where you want to do right. You better get where you love the Bible. And so, what is that sin unlamented? What is it? Cigarettes? Maybe so. What is that sin? Dirty tongue? I don't know. What is it? Uh, Esquire, Playboy magazine, and dirty pictures? What is it? What is it? Is it the jingle of unholy money or the taint of unholy skirts, I wonder? Is it the rustle of unholy skirts? Listen, I don't want it is. Oh, bitter, bitter words, how they curse and burn and uh, how they damn people and how they shut up heaven when they want to pray. What is it? Unforgiveness? What is it? You boys and girls rebellion? And you, you're not a good Christian. You don't get up first time you're called. You're not a good Christian. And if you don't have something settled so the next time you get up early, then you haven't got a good dad either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it, wife? Rebellion in your home. What is it? What is it? What is it, man? You don't take responsibility and let the thing go to the dogs. So on. All oh, he that spareth the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteth him betimes. And so he said, well, I just don't have a heart to beat him. He said, no, you've got, you don't have any character to do right, so you let the boy go to hell. You don't have integrity and character enough to do right the unpleasant way, but you better do it. Here's God's plan. Uh, he that, uh, he that um, uh, regardeth, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You want your prayers answered? Oh, then turn from sin. There's somebody here today that ought to be writing some letters. Somebody here has got somebody else that lawnmower in your garage. Somebody else here borrowed a book and didn't take it back. Dirty thief, crook. Yeah. Somebody here talks about some mean and so on, and you didn't apologize. You better apologize. Young man down in, in Greenville, South Carolina, came to me after I preached. He said, oh, Brother Rice, when I was sophomore in university, I didn't study. Came up finals exams. I didn't know the answer, so I cheated. I stole the answers and so on, and I didn't deserve it. I've got to go back, he said, and confess it, and, and they took my diploma, my degree away from me, but I got to go back. And later came back and said, oh, Brother Rice, he said, the, the dean said, well, how'd you get along after that? You're so far behind. He said, boy, I had to work like a slave to catch up. I'd left so much out, I had to learn it. Well, the dean said, all right, so now... You had to work hard to make it up, and you've confessed it, and we forgive it, and so things are all right. Oh, I'm glad to get that off my heart, he said. I've stolen things unrestored. <coughs> Apologies unmade, I wonder. I wonder. Grudges that you didn't dig out by the roots and throw them away. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.